Welcome to What Needs to Be Said. I'm your host, Alex Regan. Join me on a transformative journey as we explore the power of speaking our truth, overcoming adversity, and discovering our authentic selves. Through personal stories of origin, struggle, and emergence, we'll uncover the profound truth that connects us all. Just as I wanted readers of my book, What Needs to Be Said, to see themselves within the pages, my hope for this podcast is that you'll recognize yourself in each of our stories. Together, our collective storytelling creates a space for healing and helps us grow closer to who we really are. Oneness. Get ready to embark on this remarkable journey of self-discovery and connection. Welcome to What Needs to Be Said. Today I have with me Reverend LaVon McPherson. She is committed to a ministry of serving, healing, and empowerment. Based in Brooklyn, New York, Rev. LaVon passionately provides strongly grounded emotional support services to remove blocks to well-being, health, and full expression in all areas of life. In 2019, she founded her ministerial services business, Kindled Minds. Kindled Minds is a ministry that supports individuals on the continuum of birth, life, and transition, providing mental and emotional wellness services to empower individuals to thrive through various life cycles. She's an interfaith minister, birth doula, spiritual counselor, and certified life coach. A lifelong learner, she is formally trained in various other disciplines to support transformation, evaluation, and achievement. In a previous life on Wall Street, Rev. Levon worked as a mutual fund equities manager of qualitative data at Thomson Reuters, formerly Thompson Financial. She's also worked extensively in property asset management, mortgage and loans acquisitions, and processing in the real estate and banking industry. You can find Rev. Levon at kindledminds.com. Now let's get started. Welcome back to What Needs to Be Said. Today I have with me my dear friend, LaVon McPherson. She is a reverend, counselor, and birth worker. Hey, LaVon, it's great to have you. I'm so excited to have you with me. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> so if uh, for folks who haven't necessarily been listening to the podcast, I usually follow the pattern of the same pattern in my book, which is also called What Needs to Be Said, where I talk with guests about their origin story, some struggles that they went through, and then their emergence out of that. So LaVon, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, um, some of what really informed your your upbringing and your life. Ooh, that's um, a pretty deep question, just to begin with. <laughs> I guess my, my origin story, if I was to use one word, it was it's definitely struggle, right? Um, I was raised without a mother, right? Um, and I never met my mother. Don't know what she looks like. And she ended up passing at a young age. Um, now with that, I have two siblings, two younger siblings. And I was raised by a very, very strict um, West Indian father. And um, it was the type of household to where children were to be spoken to. And uh, we're not to question, nor ask, nor be curious about anything that was being instructed of the child. So it was a very militant environment. It was one to where I literally felt that I had to kind of like tiptoe around my environment because there was always something that was going to go wrong or something that I was not going to do right, right? And so it was very chaotic. And actually, my relief and release and escape was going to school. 
And um, to this day, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner because that's how I was able to kind of like immerse myself into an alternate reality, so to speak, and escape, you know, the tension um, of my household. Yeah. Yeah. That's intense. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I know that is a deep question and really, you know, personal to just jump right in off the bat. So <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, so would you say someone probably then from school was really one of your biggest influences? Like, was it a teacher that you had or something like that? Oh, that's a pretty good question. Um, what kind of got me through? There's so many different phases, you know, of childhood where I experienced um, different things. I did have a couple of teachers that were impressionable, but I can't say that, you know, I had Mr. Jones and he would tell me that everything was all right. And um, actually, that's not quite true. Um, The closest thing to that, that I found some type of reprieve and understanding actually was when I went to high school. And um, there was a teacher named Mr. Fagans. And I would, he was always pretty good with the kids. Like he was almost like a friend, like to the kids. And so I used to confide in him about, you know, my situation at home. I'm so strict. Like, you know, my dad didn't want me to have friends. He didn't want me to leave the house. He didn't, you know, everything was a problem. And so um, he actually did something quite maybe controversial uh, that I'm about to share. But, you know, it was definitely a, a great thing for me at the time. And that was back in those days in the 90s when you would kind of like cut from school, right? Um, you used to get like a letter sent home saying that LaVon cut school today. She didn't show up to school today, right? Yep. <laughs> and so for the most part, I went to school. But in order for me to actually have some freedom, I had to kind of sneak out the house or cut school a little bit, you know, in yep. order to engage with the outside world. And so I actually asked Mr. Fagans if he would allow me from time to time to actually not show up at homeroom, right? Um, so that I can go hang out. And um, and if he would be so kind as to not mark me absent. And Mr. Feggins listened to me and he said one thing. He said, I'll do it for you. But as long as you promise me, you won't get pregnant. And I said, you got my word. Yep, I, I'm not. Everything you know. And that was the arrangement for the school year. So I would go out and hang out. You know, I felt I felt supported. Right. Because that is definitely not something that I had um, at home. I never heard the words. I love you. I I questioned whether or not I was loved or liked. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. You know, I was just spoken to and at. And so to have him as a male figure do that for me, that was a big deal for me. Wow. That's a really cool story. Thank you, Mr. Fagan, if you're out there. (laughs) That's fantastic. I'm sure he's so out of the system now that, you know, it's okay. It's been a long time, you know. That's right. That's right. That's right. Over 30 years now. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And did you have any sort of religion or spirituality that played a role in your upbringing? Yeah. Great question. I had zero. Zilch, Zilch of an upbringing. I, I remember going to church maybe one time, and that was to bring in the new year. Hmm. And, um, you know, that was an okay experience. Um, but I do remember being curious. There was a Bible in the house. And, you know, from watching TV, I might get a wind of, 
a thing called the Bible and Christianity. And I would try to pick up the book from time to time, kind of read it, try to read it and understand it. But I found it, of course, very confusing. Um, but there was no religious outbring- upbringing. And um, I actually appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate because it's like, you know, I wasn't handed on something to kind of like take on and adopt. It, you know, in hindsight, it gave me the opportunity and the platform to discover my own path. Yeah, for sure. And when did that start to happen that you began to find your path in that realm? Oh, pretty, pretty early. So I would say that happened at the age of um, 18, 19-ish. And it happened by way, you know, of course, my lovely father um, had reached a breaking point because actually, yeah, this is a funny thing. You remember I told you that I kind of, you know, was um, sneaking out the house every now and again, you know, try to hang out. So one day after years of doing this successfully, right, I kind of slipped up and um, unbeknownst to me, the sun was coming up and I was with one of my friends. We were hanging out and my friend kind of looked and pulled the blind open and said, oh! and we were like, cause she, she knew what time it was like, the sun is coming up. <laughs> And um, when I tried to return home that day, that was my last day living inside that household. My father had caught wind that I was not in the house and um, essentially kicked me out in that moment. And so I found myself kind of bumming around here, bumming around there for a little bit, one friend to another friend. And um, ultimately I found found my, my children's father we married I married him you know at a pretty young age and he actually was a Muslim um, and he introduced me to Islam via questioning um, (laughs) via lots of questioning and searching and so um, that was an opening I still remember in that moment kind of like like I know about Christianity I know about Islam so I still was kind of technical and I wanted to do research and I kind of read both books and you know um you know, found out what I could find out about both. And then I said, you know what? I'm really liking Islam. You know, I choose Islam. And um, yeah, Um, you know, at that point, you know, I felt like prior to that, of course, I reached the bottom of bottoms. Um, But the ironic thing is that even though it was immediately hurtful that I got kicked out, um, after a few days, I felt completely liberated. I felt so liberated, even though I didn't know where I was going to live or, you know, what was coming up next, how I was going to eat. It's just that there was so much going on, you know, for decades, right? Yeah. Um, That I felt a sense of liberation and ability to do something my own way and just be free and just explore. So it was kind of exciting. And, um, you know, I ended up finding, like I said, my kid's father. And ultimately moved in with him, so that was my household. And then I, I discovered this one. Wow. I mean, I think it's fascinating how sometimes in the midst of something that feels like this must be the worst possible thing, like you're saying, this has to be sort of the bottom of the rock bottom, but then yet to find that sense of freedom pretty quickly afterwards, you know, to feel that opening where like, oh, I'm liberated from this space. Like I can sort of do and be anything I want to be now. Like I'm not like bound up by that is actually such a powerful space to really step into. So I think it's kind of amazing that you were able to access that 
that says to me that you are still able to really stay intact with your own guidance system, even though he was really like clearly wanting you to follow his rules and what he needed you to do and all of that stuff. Um, it sounds like you were still able to really stay intact in that inner guidance system and then really step into finding your own way and your own path. And that's, that's pretty amazing. Even at that, at that age. Yeah. Yeah. There was something always in me. I had, you know, I had that in me for a long time. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, now I wonder if you might share with me, I mean, some of that obviously is a struggle. And like you were saying, some of your upbringing, just you could have just used the word struggle to describe that for sure. But is there some other significant challenge that you really have faced that you are open to sharing that was a time when you felt, you know, that you might have felt even lost or disconnected from yourself or from that inner knowing or any of that stuff, if you have, you've experienced that? Yeah. Um, there are many, but I'll, I'll pick this one. Um, so, um, my ex-husband, I shall call him, when we met, um, it was about 19-ish, we were the best of friends, um, had a beautiful relationship that many envied, and, um, you know, we were, yeah, joined at the hip. In a lot of ways, you know, um, we ended up having children. He was a doting father, like everything perfect. Um, there came a time some years later, you know, I just, I just attribute this to us being young and then evolving with each other while being young, right? Yeah. And so we ended up growing apart, right? And the relationship eventually came to an end. That of which he took extremely hard. And it turned into um, a transition of him being my absolute best friend and us being very, very close to him being the polar opposite, which is like an enemy. Right? Wow. And um, scary and um, volatile. And a whole lot of other things. And so um, we went through a period of time after the breakup to where, yeah, things got pretty dark. Um, and I'm not sure if there was some type of chemical imbalance or what, but because it, it, it seemed like such an extreme from what we experienced when we were first together to when, you know, we were not together that, you know, I questioned, you know, what that was all about. Um, however, um, Our relationship for a good period of, I would say, eight, nine years when we broke up was very difficult because he intentionally <laughs> made it so. And he was verbal about it. Okay. Um, so me personally, you know, um, experiencing personal threats, um, threats to the children, right? It was just... Like I said, a whole new world and experience um, um, of dealing with them. And after seven, eight years of dealing with, um, you know, this experience with him, this volatile relationship, now being almost enemies and him having it out for me and wanting to do me harm or wishing me harm, the combination of all things, him removing himself as a father from the children's life. Um, 
yeah, I didn't realize how much it actually affected me. Yeah. Until um, four years, I would say, uh, for a period of two to three years, I actually got really depressed. And I didn't realize that I was depressed until I started coming out of it. So I was so, you know, to myself and boxed in and sheltered in. I wasn't taking care of the basics, of course, you know. A lot of the symptoms of depression I actually had. Um, but it was actually my youngest son that I had with him that helped wake me out of that. Um, when he was young, he was in elementary school. I used to have to walk into the bus stop each and every morning while I was depressed. And he would religiously, for a period of two, three years consecutively, pick a flower. And then, yeah, and it was always a surprise. Each and every day, I'm like, where did, I'm holding his hand. I'm like, where is he getting this flower from, right? What's going on? Every single day along the way, he'd pick one. He'd be like, here, mom, here, mom, here, mom, all throughout the spring and the summer. And it happened the first year and the second year and the third year. And then the third year, it finally clicked in. I'm like, oh, my God, like he's showing me love. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it started to kind of like open me up and realize where, where I was and how I wasn't functioning, right? And how I, I made myself a hermit and how, you know, basic things weren't being taken care of. Just like, you know, it was um, such a dark place that I didn't realize I was in. But racist to my youngest son, his name is Kyrie, such a beautiful soul, hmm. um, for helping me to get out of that. Um, so that was one one challenging um, thing that I went through because, you know, we went from being best friends um, to things going topsy-turvy and we didn't just break up and, you know, have little hiccups here and there. But it was literally him, you know, it was like a thing each and every yeah. week, each and every month for years and years and years, right? Wow. Yeah. So I share that one. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot, but I love the image of your son just trying to reach you every day and knowing somehow, like, it's always fascinating to me how little kids seem to stay so connected to sort of their source and their, you know, inner knowing, I think of the divine, you know, even though they maybe couldn't call it that. It's just like, you know, they, they really can like reach in and touch us in so many ways. And, and they have that like faith, you know, like they say the child, the faith, like a child, um, and I think they just have that like belief and that knowing. And, and that's really a beautiful story to think of him just pulling a flower. It's like, where did he get a flower every day? Like somebody's garden was, was like surprise. missing flowers. Yeah. Like they're going, where did my flowers go? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so I funny. One of them I took and I just kind of um, posted up in my bedroom, you know, when it kind of clicked to me that he was showing me love, I, yeah. I took this one rose and I just posted it somewhere above my wall, kind of just to, as a visual. And that yeah. thing lasted in, in preserved form wow. for a good six, seven years without wow. rotting, without disintegrating. You still see the whole shape of it and still had its texture. Wow. It was vibrating so high. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That was just like all his little love stored up in that flower and oh just held God. its vibration in space. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn about yourself in that experience? Like, especially as you were coming through it to the other side? That's a great question. Yeah. 
Yeah, areas where, you know, I it, it was a space for me to take ownership where I wasn't taking ownership before. Um, as far as, you know, my, my involvement, my participation, and him experiencing things the way that he did with me and how the relationship kind of got to where it got, right? I kind of had like a self-righteousness thing going on with him, you know, for a great portion of the relationship. And um, he was trying to get me to hear things. But being that he was so volatile and imbalanced, you know, I used all of that as reasonings not to pay any attention, not to validate his feelings um, at all, right? And so and, and at some point, I was able to look back and see where I actually wasn't giving an ear and giving an eye to um, what he wanted to be um, heard and what he wanted to be seen and how hurtful, you know, that could have been for him. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one major thing. And then, too, um, I would say the second thing I came to was, yeah, um, like, where did I stop maybe loving myself, right? So where um, I could get so deep down a rabbit hole to where there was such consistency in um, in this interaction and with how things were playing out, right? Um, and just getting worse and worse and worse and just maintaining itself, if anything, throughout yeah. several years, right? So where and when and how did I stop loving myself? And even to the point where I didn't really realize that I even wasn't okay emotionally. That I was yeah. pretty checked out you know, and not available in lots of ways. I was in complete denial because, you know, my upbringing was so, so much and I persevered through so much. I always felt like I'm a strong person. I'm very resilient. I know how to deal with struggle and strife and adversity and, you know, like just give it to me, you know, and I'll handle it. Yeah. And actually I do remember kind of being addicted, you know, to drama. Yeah. Because that's what I grew up around. So there was a point where, you know, I felt like if there wasn't something kind of like falling apart, there was something wrong. Yeah. Right. And so I was in, you know, that was part of the time period that I was in initially um, with that. I'm like, you know, I can handle this. You know, what he's throwing at me, and I, you know, that's what I was telling myself, but I wasn't really. Right. So those are the two main things. Um you know, like really taking ownership as a participant because it takes two to tango in this case, um, right? And then questioning, like, where's the love? Where did that go and when and how? Yeah. I think it's so powerful how when we survive trauma, we think, oh, yeah, we're tough. We can. Like you're saying, I've got this. Just keep throwing it at me, whatever. Like, I'm I'm strong. Um and that's such an important realization to come to where you're like, wait a minute, actually, I'm not functioning at my best here. Like, I'm not really actually taking this, you know, and it's not really healthy for me. And I need to like do something else. And sometimes it can be like decades that we're in that space. Um, and then it's just like that story that's playing over and over. It's like what we know, you know, it's like, I think. I resonate so much with that, what you were saying, where it's like, you're like, wait, what's something's not happening. What, 
what's wrong? You know, like this isn't right. Like this seems like some, you know, then you're like waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, kind of thing. You're like, and is this shoe going to like hit me on the head? You know, how big is this shoe going to be? And that's such a hard pattern to like unravel and to pull away from and to like rewire your brain to do something different. I mean, I still, I still personally struggle with that for sure, where I'll find myself falling back into a pattern of something and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've seen this before. <laughs> you know, it, And it's hard. It's so hard to catch that and to really like maneuver uh, into like a new, a new, an entirely new road, you know, just go down another pathway and begin to wear a groove in that road instead of in the, in the original story and pattern. So yeah, yeah, I, I feel that. And what do you think, you know, as you kind of emerged out of that then and sort of your emergence and that transformation into that other side, um, you know, what changes then happened in your life? Where were you? Um, you know, how did that lead you to eventually seminary and the other things now that you're doing um, in your world and, and even with your own spiritual you know, relationship? Like, did you come out intact with that? Or did that change also like your, your beliefs and your faith through that struggle? Yeah. Um, yeah. You're just reminding me, you know, I definitely remember I did start off picking and choosing Islam. And, um, at some point I did drop, and this is initially when my husband and I started having problems. Well, when we kind of officially broke up, that's kind of when I started transitioning out of Islam. And so I was able to look back on how was life for me when I had God in my life? How was life for me when I didn't have God in my life? Right? So I look back to my childhood. I like, I didn't have God in my life. It was a bunch of drama. And I look back to when I became Muslim, you know, when I first met the kid's father and everything just went, ooh, such a such a climb up, right? I ended up with an excellent job on Wall Street without a degree, right? Um, without finishing, you know, because I got kicked out. Didn't, didn't finish school, didn't have formal training. I was just smart and ambitious, right? So there was so much that happened for me. Um, that me going from the bottom literally to the top, and even in corporate America, I ended up being a manager of a department, right? Um, a lot of amazing things were happening. He, yeah. We were making great money, right? So coming from the transition of seeing that big red garbage bag of my father putting all my clothes inside, you know, and, and kicking me out to that years later, all of that was when I was connected to God or connected to Allah, Right. Yeah. And and um, the religion, what it gave me is it gave me community. That was the number one thing. That's something that I did not have. It gave me, of course, a connection with, with God, something for me to explore and to, and to be serious about. And it gave me structure and yeah. discipline. And so all of that was beautiful. And so I was able to, again, look at, wow, okay, I stopped practicing and then everything, the crescendo of what I had, you know, the height of everything that I had when I was when I had God in my life, slowly just really all dismantled and faltered, including the relationship. And gone with the wind was everything. And so I said, hey, you know what? Um, I don't think I'm, I'm here. I don't think it's healthy for me. 
um, to live a life without being connected to source, connected to Allah, connected to whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I realized that that was vital. And um, upon that realization and upon the fact, you know, the realization that I've been depressed and I've been kind of sheltering myself and keeping away from friends and all that stuff like that, um, I ended up kind of getting like an invite, I recall. Um, I have a friend that sings and um, she sent me a flyer to come and see her perform. And ironically, I met her when I had a couple of you know months in college. And um, she was actually performing with a mutual friend that I knew from junior high school. So there were these crazy connections. I'm like, wow. you know what? And me and this particular, you know, friend um, from college, we actually had a falling out. We weren't speaking. So I'm like, you know what? I'm turning a new leaf. Let me go. She's going to be shocked. Let me just go. You know. And I show up. And she's not even there. She didn't show up to her own performance. However, um, our mutual friend that I know from junior high school was there and she just took on the show and she did her thing. And, um, she ended up, um, introducing me to a course in miracles. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was way back in like 2011 or 2012, 2011, 2012. And I've been a student of a course in miracles ever since. That's some powerful stuff. I love, we could have a whole nother episode and talk about that. <laughs> I love right. it. Right. Yeah. That's about the time we, I, around the time when Doris and I and our friends kind of discovered that as well. So it's kind mm. of a fun, fun overlap. Um, and I had no idea what it was saying, but I was like, this seems like it still makes sense somehow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know what you're saying. Yep. <laughs> It's just that deep inner knowing is that yeah. part of you that just knows. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And it always took me a while to, because for me, it felt too much like the Bible because of the iambic pentameter writing, you know? And so I had my own issues that I had to overcome and kind of heal through before I could move, you know, past that. So it's interesting, but anyways, that's so powerful. And, um, I could see, you know, that being a really life changing, um, experience to begin to add that into to who you are and and to have that inform you and i also think it's really powerful to note that you came to that conclusion of without god you were struggling with god you were not struggling as much and things were looking good it's yeah. like oh <laughs> that's like a light bulb literally going on like huh that's the that's the like common thread there. Um, and it's like, I love hearing you say that just because, you know, sometimes we don't have that kind of wisdom come in until many, many years, you know, <laughs> later down the road. So to be able to see that and then recognize, oh, you know, that was the thread and that really was what was making a difference um, potentially in my life. And now since you've had that more back in your life and that is a focus, have you felt like you've seen that consistency return where you feel more supported and things are sort of moving more in the on the upper you know, echelons? Do you feel like that's still consistent, that when God's in your life, things are going better? Yeah, I've definitely had many, many crescendos. Um, but like anything else and like anyone else, I still receive, you know, I still have my peaks and my so-called lows. Um, however, you know, the difference is, um, the difference is my perception 
you know, about the events that are now occurring that seem like lows, right? Or that I may experience as a low. The difference is also how long Mm. I remain in that space, which is very fleeting. You know, prior to, um, please, if I get upset, if I get pissed off, if something, whatever, like I, this thing is bugging me for like months and months on end. I'm still thinking it is looping. I'm stewing over it. I'm, you know, it's like a whole thing. Um, yeah. But now it's like something will happen. I'm able to like look at it, have some awareness around it, be curious about it, right? Um, have a sense of ownership around how I might have, you know, what I might have done, just like kind of doing this review thing, right? And um, have more peace around it, right? So again, I still experience certain things, and I, I have my moments to where it's just like, okay, this little this little drama right here is seeming really serious. Oh no, this is you know quite different from the norm, right? Um, but I don't stay there too long, and and for the most part, I have so much faith and awareness and understanding and knowledge that it's only temporary because I've. I've witnessed so many miracles, hmm. so many miracles that have showed me um, that I'm covered <laughs> beyond, you know, my personal control and trying to do right. That I'm yeah. covered in so many ways. It's, it's happened so many times throughout the span of my life that there's beyond the shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, like I said, I know what time it really is. So, yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. I love to hear that. That's something I still have the struggle with, I think, coming from my sort of, you know, because I had the religion as a child and the sort of evangelical, you know, upbringing, I struggle then to like disconnect still sometimes the God who is that God, who I always like to call the ego God, uh, with the real essence of the divine and remembering that that those are two different things. One part is something that my mind has made up and created to, you know, to make me feel like I'm going to be punished, you know, to make me feel like I believe that I'm separate and that I'm going to do it wrong and all of that stuff. And then that other true essence, uh, I had someone on, um, the other day who said this wild love that won't leave me. And I was like, ah, like that is like, I just felt that in my bones when she said that. And I was just like, that's the, like, that's the God, quote unquote, Allah, spirit, divine. That's what we're all like really, truly connected of and a part of and what we're seeking, you know, to fill up these holes that we feel like are inside of us. And, you know, sometimes it's easier than others, but, but I love knowing and hearing you say that you, you know, have found so many miracles that have come through in your experience and that that helps to just continue to reinforce that again, Life's better when God's in it than when you're just like, nah, I can do this all on my own. <laughs> you know, that's what I remembered. I remembered when I decided to kind of not practice Islam, you know, I was feeling like, you know what, it's Islam, it's a way of life. It's a complete system and way of life. And it's either you're doing it or you're doing it, I'm not doing it. You know, there's no, it's not a thing to kind of want to do a part, not the other. Yeah. And so I remember when I was kind of, you know, in this mode of, I think I'm going to take a break. I remember consciously saying, you know what? There are atheists out there, right? And they're still functioning and, 
they're still able to be okay and being taken care of. Like, I don't think I need to do all this, right? Yeah. I remember having that thought and saying that, and then I just started, you know, dropping off and letting it go. Just so-called being and everything crumbled. So, yeah. Yeah. I I am curious one thing. Do you think that there's some part of, like, because your upbringing had that very strictness, you know, that, that your dad was like, it has to be this way. That was, it was like his way or the highway, I'm assuming. Um, that then going into a very structured religion that also has a very, there's a lot of rules. You have to do it this certain way. Do you think in some way it felt more liberating than to even take what you got from that, but then to just move on and find your own liberation, your own sort of free way to the universe, divine God, goddess, whatever word we want to use. Do you think that was, you know, any part of it? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. What it did is it was, it was funny because it was like an easy choice for me. Yeah, it was easy. So I, I, you know, I was in environments where there was that, you know, structure and order and things have to be a certain way. And so Islam provided some structure and order. But the difference was, was that I was gaining a loving community. Mm. Um, I made the choice, right, um, to connect with God. And um, it just felt right. Yeah. So um, when I initially, you know, stepped into the faith, it didn't feel like a burden. It felt like a, a beautiful new start to life. It literally felt like a reboot. Yeah. With this reboot, I have some support systems in place, right? For me to emerge anew and to grow anew and explore anew and come into my own and, and all that great stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I imagine too, having that built-in community, which in a very organized religion such as that is like, that must have been such a stark contrast to that childhood where your dad did try to keep you so isolated and you sort of were like having to sneak out to have friends and do, you know, have community and to step into that space must have felt like coming home, you know, in a way. Oh, it did. It was such a, it was like, a, I just naturally fell into it. It was all love. Like, it's all about community and sharing and showing up. And it's amazing that I, it's like the, I was in such a zone. I would say I was in, operating in a different dimension, especially when I first got into Islam. I was so not judgmental. I saw only love. Hmm. Like, anything that I had, it, it you know, I was just, what do you need? You know, just showing up in so many places and just building and being a part of the community. Right. So it was, it was, was, I felt so privileged and honored to be able to have that access and to be able to do that. And these were like, these were family, you know, not just brothers and sisters, they were family and we operated as family. And so it's almost like innately I was wired to just fall in line or, you know, just really know exactly how to function. Yeah. In that setting. I think it's beautiful that, you know, sometimes religions of all types get a bad name. Um, but there is so much truth to the 
that part of it, when you really can step into a community that's built upon that, that you really can access such deep amounts of love and just that feeling of, of coming homeness, of there being this support that you've got someone who has your back. You know, somebody's sick, somebody's in the hospital, somebody's going to show up, somebody's going to be there. You know, somebody's going to come and pick up your kids or, you know, they're going to do things for each other. And I think, you know, that brings me back to, you know, I was on a guy's podcast um, a couple of weeks ago. Then we talked, we talked about how, you know, we've lost that living in community, you know, and I think that's why we're actually suffering so much as a whole is because we don't live in community anymore. We, it doesn't feel like anyone has your back, you know, like there's so many times, most people walk through this world feeling like it's just theirs to carry. They've got to figure it out and it's them against the world. And we never used to live like that. We used to live in communities, in tribes, in villages, in, and we knew everyone in town. And we like had, it was like aunties and grandparents and grandmothers and someone else's grandparents were your surrogate grandparents too. And just, I mean, all that stuff, like, and it brings tears to my eyes because I think that is why we're in such struggle right now because we've just, we've embraced this rugged, individualized, you know, like this is what America is. And it's just like, no, America was about people coming together. You know, like America was about groups of people who thought they didn't belong to each other from all different countries, all different walks of life coming together, you know, and if we could just all come together and really support one another and, and return to that sort of village idea, you know, like that there's a reason that says there, it takes a village, you know, like that, there's a reason uh, for that. So I do think I just want to, you know, point that out and say, you know, I find that to be so beautiful that you had that experience because you deserve to have that. You deserve to have that from your family of origin. And so many people don't get that and don't feel like they belong to their family or that they are loved or, you know, whatever the case is, uh, whether it's because of whatever was going on for your dad, maybe nobody loved him and he didn't know how to love um, anyone else, or if it's people who are treated differently because they're LGBTQI plus or whatever the things are, you know, everyone deserves that. And so I'm, I'm glad that you found that um, and you had that space and that you, I assume you've been able to create more of that as, as you evolved and as your communities have changed potentially, but that you hopefully still have that, those spaces. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. And thank you for pointing that out. And I must say that I do agree. I have landed on the fact that, you know, a lot of, you know, struggle that we may experience as individuals is because we are living as individuals and that we are not in community with one another in whatever fashion or form that that looks like. And that was the beauty. Um, And it's, you know, I'm sure there are are still these communities out there. Um, But as you mentioned, you know, with... um, some of the ho-hum that people feel about religion, one may be um, deterred from following it. Um, But trust and believe there are, there are spaces out there, you know, seek and you shall find. And so, yeah, that was something, you know, it's a very, Islam is a very cultural religion, you know? And so with that, it brought the village, it brought everything that you expressed, you know, 
yeah. you knowing, you know, this person and their whole family, you know, all the kids and the kids, you know, babysit and, it, you know, everybody just, who's going to cook? Oh, you got food? Oh, you know, come on, you know, so it was just organic. And it's just like, once you say Shahada, which is, you know, how you become a Muslim, you say an oath, right? Yeah. So become a Muslim, and then you're automatically family. <laughs> there's no you know interviews there's no you know let's bet you and you know whatever yeah. just that once you you know do that you have automatic family and so yeah it's a beautiful thing yeah. i think that there's a lot of power in that in part because like you said it's not just about religion it's also cultural which i think you know judaism has a similar tone to that where it is about the culture and the community and that if you're Jewish, you're in, you know, like you're in the group, you know, and I think maybe in some ways, because Christianity is not a culture, you know, Christianity has become this bastardized that, you know, there are so many, I, I heard someone say, I don't even know what the number, it was ridiculous. I think there was like 7,000 different like types of Christianity. I mean, it's a crazy off the charts, you know, number. And I think that that has created this dissonance where it's just like, you're not a fan. You don't feel like you belong just because you like maybe believe in Jesus. You might go in a certain church and they're like, you don't belong here, you know, kind of thing. And I think um, that's sort of one of the beautiful things about um, Islam and and Judaism and things like religions like that, that have the cultural tie, because I think it creates a different kind of community and space and, and a belonging that I think Christianity is deeply missing now um, because it's very it's very actually exclusionary now. Like, no, you, you don't believe in the Trinity or you don't believe in that. So you can't come to our church, you know? And it's yes. just like, what oh the heck, you know? Yeah. The stories that I hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a guest on um, a couple of weeks ago who grew up Jewish, but she was, you know, they didn't go very often, but she had a bunch of friends who were more Orthodox and she was very interested in that and would go to their, you know, synagogue and, even though she wasn't Orthodox, they were like, come on in, you're Jewish, you know, and it wasn't this thing. And I just, I thought about that and the difference of that and how, um, you know, my experience certainly with Christianity, which is my, you know, upbringing was not like that, was not like just everybody, come on in, you're all welcome kind of thing. So, so it's beautiful. Well, I love to ask everybody uh, in your line of work, in your area of expertise, or even just in your own heart, you know, on whatever's on your own heart, like what else do you feel like needs to be said? Oh, yeah. Jeez. After all of that, what else needs to be said? Yeah, I would say um, kind of piggybacking from where we just left off. A lot of people are experiencing a sense of isolation, right? A lot of people um, are experiencing a sense of distrust and almost like a stranger danger type of phenomenon, yeah. you know, amongst even your neighbor, right? And um, at this point, it's become quite normalized, right? And, and something almost that we've kind of even said to ourselves that it needs to be that way, right? And um, what I feel needs to be said is that there is always a choice. There is always possibility. And if there's something that is going on in anyone's life that feels it's out of character, um, that it is disharmonious, 
that um, it creates pain and a sense of detachment. And you're not, you know, for the most part at a level of peace with, and this is any area of our lives, that we give ourselves permission to explore alternate ways of being, to explore another way of doing, to explore what's out there in the realm of what you don't presently know. You know, of course, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so to give yourself, give ourselves the opportunity to actually find out what is possible and might, what might be out there as an outlet for us to create the change that would actually really uplift us and make mm-hmm. us feel good about waking up every morning and feel a sense of safety, inner safety, right? Even amongst the quote unquote trainers. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I do think we have gotten so uh, isolated with, you know, oh, I can't reach you even anymore. Like I won't even try because we're so different. We're on such opposing it, you know, and we just, we maybe just don't even have the right types of conversations anymore. And we're just not, we don't, uh, we don't face each other always with the, with like an open heart. You know, we, we usually have sort of this guard up, this very defensive, you know, and it is sort of like, we've all taken on, you know, we were all said, told us kids, stranger danger, you know, don't take candy from the street. You know, it's like now all of a sudden we've all taken that on. I love that. I did this. Like not everyone is stranger danger. You know, it's like, we have to learn to like use a little more common sense and have a little more self-awareness and awareness of our, you know, the people around us because everyone doesn't have to be our enemy, you know, (laughs) Yeah, it's just gotten out of hand in a way how, how, you know, it's so easy to just think they're against me, whoever, you know, the person is. And it's like, who's the, they even, you know, the, they becomes (laughs) this imaginary, uh, you know, figure of the boogeyman in the closet kind of thing, you know, and it's like, what are we doing? You know? And so I appreciate that. Yeah. Maybe we need to chill out with the stranger danger for a moment and, (laughs) and get back in touch with our own self and maybe engage in more community building, you know, like exactly what you experienced, you know, find out who, who your neighbor is, you know, like find out how you can help your neighbor if they need help, you know, getting groceries or if they need help with childcare, whatever the, like what would happen if we just began to see our neighbor, you know, love our neighbor as ourselves. I always think maybe that's because we've forgotten how to love ourselves. And so it, we, we don't, you know, as we studied in seminary, like there's like the golden rule is in like every religion, like all have that sort of same do unto others as you would have done unto you, essentially the love your neighbors yourself. But maybe we've just forgotten how to treat ourselves even. And so we actually, my fear is we actually then treat everyone else how poorly we treat ourselves. Yeah. You're making me emotional with that. Yeah. And I think you've really, you've really landed on something there. Yeah. And it, it makes sense. You know, this is a point to where we can be compassionate, you know, to really develop an, a compassionate eye, right? And that 
you know, people ultimately are doing the best that they can do yeah. within the range of what um, they deem is possible based on experiences. And yeah. so if, if one is in a space where, you know, like I said, I reached a point where I'm like, when and where and how did I stop loving myself? Yeah. And I fell down such a hole that I was not in a space to where I could even do that for anyone else because I wasn't in touch with that for myself, right? Yeah. And so certainly, certainly there is a lot of that going on. And it's just a matter of really taking a pause and just being curious and, and explore the self. Right. Give yeah. you're not, yourself an opportunity when something is happening, not to just let everything fly by the head. Right. But to stop for a minute and just contemplate and say, what is up with that? Yeah. What is this all about? And yeah. you'll you'll discover like the most profound answers, like the most pro- profound insights come when you just take a moment and you kind of pause and you like what's going on <laughs> yeah with me right now like really what what's the meaning of this how yeah, <laughs> yeah. and you i know? love that you said yeah. about me because it's not what's going on with everyone <laughs> out there all you have to really do is say okay wait what's going on with me what am i feeling in my body where is it at why do i feel that you know like it's an internal job always like and we just we're so busy pointing the finger out there at everybody else saying, you know, you're to blame for my, you know, upsetness. And I fall prey to that myself daily. <laughs> um, and I have to try to catch myself. And sometimes I fail at it miserably. And you just got to keep stepping back into that space. Exactly. Like you said, take a breath, pause and go, go within. Yeah. It's very difficult in, in the beginning, um, but once you kind of make a commitment, you know, you'll do it more often and it gets a bit easier, you know, not yeah. to say that you may, you know, experience complete mastery, you know, yeah. I'm not claiming perfection. Um, I, de- I definitely am um, claiming compassion and, and some patience and, um, and willingness, right, to really do and show up the best as I can. Yeah. So, and it starts within, it starts right here. I have to figure yeah. this out and learn myself before I can even try to understand someone else. Totally. Right? Totally. Amen to that. Can you see that, right? Trying to figure out why this person is doing this to me and why that, you know, but I don't really explore and understand me. <laughs> yeah know me so it has to start here before we can you know step up and be in a space where we're able to really compassionately see you know why a person may appear or show up in a certain way and um the the lens will change from there on out you know and and just as um a cap to you know what i experienced with the kid's father by way and by glory of a course of miracles and doing the work um, about, you know, nine years, you know, after, you know, like I said, he persisted with being who he was being, showing up how he's showing up to me. And of course, the miracles is all about, you know, forgiveness, right? Yep. And, re- and removing the barriers to love. I got a call, random, and I got a request from him to meet 
And I was, you know, a little leery because, you know, everything's kind of volatile, but, you know, I felt intuitively that it was okay. Right. And so he, I, we met up, I hopped in his car and we kind of was like driving around my area and he apologized. Wow. Now out of all of the, I will frankly use the word insane because there were a lot of insane things that happened over the course of the years, that of which I, if I spoke about it, it would be like so shocking and jarring. Right. Yeah. And there was no point throughout the course of everything that happened to where he felt that he did anything that was out of the norm. Hmm. Okay. So that thing. And so he just randomly picked me up and then said, I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> without me soliciting it, without me calling him, without me begging, without us having a conversation. But I remember reaching a point. I said, you know what? I'm done carrying the load of this relationship. Like I've been a warden, right? Like he's been the prisoner. I've been holding him in jail emotionally, you know, because yeah. I feel like I've been doing my best, you know, self-righteously. Mm. I've been, you know, trying to be the good mom, you know, I've been doing my best, right? Within reason and not closing him out of the children's life and all this stuff like that. So I felt self-righteous in the ways that I was showing up in ways that other people might not have, right? And I yeah. felt that that was enough, right? Yeah. But I realized that, again, I was holding him in prison and I was judging him and I was faulting him for doing this to me and doing that to me and doing this to me. And I reached a point, I'm like, you know what? It's taking so much life force out of me. Yeah. Like, I'm done. I'm just leaving yeah. it. I'm letting it go. I'm not resisting. I'm not fighting. I'm not, you know, all that stuff. Self-righteousness. Out the window. I'm done. And that's when he called me. It took it maybe a matter of days. Unbelievable. So who was really in prison was you. <laughs> right? Like, it looked like I was in face, prison. But you were holding yourself in prison. I yeah. was holding. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Like I said, you know, it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky line. Because like I said, I'm like, I'm not calling you and cursing you. I'm not, wish, you know, wishing you dead. I'm not attacking you. I'm not, you know, the aggressor here. I'm, you totally. know. I'm not removing people from people's lives. Um, you know, you can still have contact with children as long as everything seems safe, right? Like I'm doing, I'm doing the good girl stuff here, right? Yeah. I yeah. had to really get down and see, like, if that was really true, why am I still experiencing this? Yeah. For so long. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. So, Thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's such a powerful story of forgiveness of miracles, but the miracles always we're like setting ourselves free. And we just don't even realize, like, we're holding ourselves captive. And that's like... myself captive. Yeah. And from that point, we started repairing uh, our relationship. And we started to actually become friends. And it came to a point where I felt safe around him. He would start to come visit. You know, everything was almost like normal without having the actual relationship. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, I just love to end on asking a sort of, it can be fun, quirky question, but I think this one fits. I just would say if you could travel back in time and give your younger self any piece of advice, what would you give her? Good job. Let me see. Nothing's popping up immediately for that one. I was thinking just, you could say, I love you. You know what, that actually is appropriate. Yeah. 
definitely. Thank you for that. You see, you're just in tune. We got the guys here. We got the guys here <laughs> and they're informing both of us. Okay. Totally. Totally. That I just saw the little, I just saw the little you and I just thought all she needed was for someone to just say, I love you. That is so true. Yeah. Those yeah. words were unheard. Yeah. For me to be able to say, I love you. Like, despite yeah. what? And I am loved. You are yeah. loved. And I love myself. Yeah. yeah. And you are love. It's the essence of who you are. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad that we got to have this talk today. Um, if people want to find you, do you want to give your social media or anything? You don't have to, but if that's of any interest, it's up to you. I can leave that off if you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for now, um, I do, I am a birth worker, meaning that I do support, you know, pregnant persons that are expecting. And um, in addition to that, I do offer spiritual counseling as well as being a reverend. And so I have a lot of wraparound services in that regard. Of course, I function independently as a reverend, doing reverend rites, you know, marrying people and doing funerals, which is interesting enough, I actually do enjoy doing funerals. Um, but in order to get in contact with me, you can reach me at my current website, which is www.kindledminds.com. That is K-I-N-D-L- Minds Beautiful. And I'll put that all in the show notes as well so people can see it in the text. Uh, I just want to tell you, I love you. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life and to have known you these years. I know, you know, we don't always get to see each other, but, you know, I hold you in my heart. You know what? I feel that because, you know, you reached out and you connected and I love, absolutely love what you're doing, right? And um, it's 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 a beautiful ministry. So definitely keep it going and get the message and the words out there because you definitely are reaching people that, you know, and touching them, I'm sure, in special ways that they didn't know was possible. So thank you for your contributions, right, to me and to, and to everyone, every audience member. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for being here, everybody, and we'll see you next week on What Needs to be Said. Bye.